Welcome to another edition of the Grizzden Pod, a remote edition. Ty is back. Welcome, Ty. Back, baby. Playoff team. That's what back they call the him. Little baby. Grizz Cub number four. That's right. Will, come on, Congratulations. man. Got to put one on the board. That's, that's a separate conversation. Brantley, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, team. Sorry, Listen. my voice. I whooped I whooped that trick really hard last night. So yeah. my voice sounds like I don't I don't know hey, what it sounds like. Before we get into anything, how was the crowd? I wasn't I was the only one not there. It was electric. It was yeah. um definitely I would say Okay, here's here's what I would say. The the lead up to game one was much better. And the actual start of the game of game one was much better in terms of crowd noise, crowd engagement. And I think that makes sense. It was a Saturday game. It was in the afternoon. People were just buzzing. And the Tuesday game was a lot more like you could feel the tightness. You could feel the anxiety. And I think people were just like not wanting to have their hearts broken. And so it, it left a little bit... Uh, on like we didn't we didn't let's just say we didn't leave it all on the floor uh, as a crowd in the first half of game two and then the second half was just when they at the end of the second quarter the Grizzlies after they had gone on a run and sort of um, <clears throat> put their stamp on the game I think the second half was a lot more loose a lot more fun and that led to more energy so what what did you think Brantley I don't know it felt I. I guess I just, it just felt sort of tired to me to start the game. I don't tired me. I, I sort of felt like the crowd trickled in a little later than normal, um, and I, it honestly like other, there are a couple moments that I felt like were really big. I didn't really feel like there was just a ton of momentum, like shots that we took advantage of, and like huge moments, like the Bane step back three was one of the like key memories that I'll have from that game of the crowd just going nuts and it's like just like feeling like we're, yeah. yeah when he kind of got that uh, what was it like stutter an step. offensive the rebound and he's oh. yeah and he stutter step back it, it was, was so beautiful good. I think that was second half but then we also like we got up so quick that then it just kind of became another form of anxiety of like let's not like let Nick Young come back from the dead yeah <laughs> so yeah but what if that trick was I mean it was an awesome whoop that trick moment of like having been in the arena for all the Clippers whoop that clip moments and, you know, a couple of Golden State scenarios. This was just one of those ones that just ushering that in with the new era was just so much fun. It was very cathartic after the game one, which let's let's discuss what a difference a game makes. Uh, we were on the building for game one, and I think that um, – it was one of those games that sort of led you to the conclusion that game two was a must win, even though it obviously on paper was not a must win, but it going back to Minnesota, which the game we're recording right now on Wednesday night. And so um, if you're listening to this on Thursday, the game is tonight game three in Minnesota, but you just felt that the way the wolves played the confidence they had, the way that we struggled, and obviously we had, we, I mean, 
we just went over and over after game one about what went wrong and what need to what needed to go right. But at the end of the day, you still had that doubt about whether we could get it done because we're still so young. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about the sort of intermediary between game one and two and what changed. So after game one, what was like the biggest adjustment that you knew this team had to make in order to actually get it done and to play Grizzlies basketball again? Hit well, up, I, think the, I think the easy thing is the most glaring part of game one is to start. They just like, I mean, Steven Adams had just a terrible go at it. And it was clear as day that that's what they were they were doing. They were putting him in the pick and roll and just killing him. And even in game one, like, I think Kyle and BC, when they were on the floor together, were like almost plus double digits in a game we lost by double digits. So immediately when we went small, it was just like, oh, this works. So you just think that game two, there would be an adjustment. Um, I think the concern from Grizzlies fans was that I saw a friend of the pod, uh, Matt Hurlicka, was kind of confirmed Jenkins isn't Bud, which if you know what that means, so Coach Bud, Milwaukee's coach, is very, very slow to make adjustments, and Jenkins was on his staff for several years. So that was a concern coming in, is like Adams would still play his 20 minutes a night, you know, hell or high water. And Jenkins answered the bell, man. He... I love how he caught it. Just he went with his gut, which is what led to Tillman being in the game. Um, so I think defensively, just being able to, you know, be versatile and cover and keep people in front of you um, is big. So I th- I thought that was kind of the biggest adjustment going. Yeah, <clears throat> I think the the Adams thing was definitely something that all of us were, you know just percolating on would he make the shift it's really hard as i've thought about today the difference between game one and two i'm just gonna go to our superstar and just like it was just so evident how different he approached the game he wasn't foul hunting i think that set the tone for the rest of our team not to be foul hunting in a game that was like the most ridiculous first three minutes of four minutes or whatever it is of any quarter that's ever existed any it set some first quarter um, historical precedents in terms of free throws um, from the past 25 oh. years. It was, it was absolutely miserable, but, but Ja, not just the foul hunting piece, but just the way that he looked to attack the lane and um, look to get other players involved. Um, it, it opened him up more in the second half, but it also allowed, you know, more folks to become dangerous and, and I just really think that that um, is going to be a tough thing for this Timberwolves teams to, to make an adjustment to. Like, I think they have one counter, and that's just to put Anthony Edwards on jaw the whole time. And, um, you know, so we could talk about that maybe in a second. But that, that, that big change to me was the, is just as much of a difference, if not more of a difference, on the, than the Steven Adams switch because that allowed – you know, Tillman, BC, Bain, you know, all of our, you know, Dylan even to get easy buckets and easy looks at things that just wasn't the case in the first game. And it's because Ja was looking to attack almost a hundred percent of the time when he was going into the lane versus 
actually looking and seeing, and I, I mean, to, to use Will Walker's boy, I mean, he kind of looked like Nash at times, the way he was driving the lane, pausing, using his three seconds in the lane, putting guys in jail behind him, looking to dish or looking to hit the roll because he had guys that were rolling hard every time. And there's just a difference when Tillman and BC are setting the pick and roll with Ja, and he knows those guys are rolling hard, and defenders have to pick: do I pick Ja or do I pick the roll? And it's just it's a lose lose for the defense. You can't win with us. Yeah, and, and that combined with the fact that Carl Anthony Towns isn't exactly the uh, the rim protector <laughs> that other centers in the league are helps a ton. Um, for me, it was. It was a lot of the three-point variants. I think that they're, um, at least in game one, they went 16 of 41, and we shot seven for 27 uh, from three, which, if you do the math, is a minus 27 in terms of total points difference between those uh, those two stats. And so I think just knowing that if things were to be normal, we should shoot better than that, and they should shoot a little bit worse than that. And so that was huge. We ended up uh, going 11 for 37 in game two, and they went 11 for 38. And so the biggest thing for me was getting that volume back up to a normal level. The other part of it was Jaron. I think that the early fouls in game one showed um, not only just how much we rely on him because of not only his defensive presence, but when when he's hitting threes, this team is extremely hard to beat. And he is almost an impossible player to guard, and so I think he's he still. I mean, yeah. What did he have, What did he end the game with yesterday? He. So I actually had a tweet that I'll reference uh, to quote to yourself quote myself. Yeah, yeah, cool. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so it was it was uh, four days ago that I tweeted out this in the 2021-2022 season. The Grizzlies' win percentage was 68%, and Jaron's minutes per game average was 27. So keep in mind, this was like basically his his second full season, really, to play. The Grizzlies' win percentage when Jaron plays above his average, or right at his average and above, was 73%. So like a 5% chance better than what our just normal season average was. If Jaron played less than his average, that that was down to 63%. So there's a 10% uh, chance difference for the Grizzlies to win based on this season if Jaron plays above his average. He played almost exactly 27 minutes last night in Game 2, and in Game 1, that was at 24. And so it's not a... If you think about it in terms of just like three minutes doesn't seem like a ton, but it really is. I mean, it's, it's it's over 10% of what you know, their total minutes. And it's also the way that he was playing. He was playing free. He hit a couple shots. It really got him rolling. And so just having him back to normal, I think too, and you mentioned it Brantley on our text thread during the game. I mean, you don't want him to have that Andrew Harrison face. You don't want him to have the issues of, of um, just like not being in his own, not being on a roll and having that look on his face, the body language. Yeah. So, that to me, the three point shooting and Jaron especially were the two things that were at the top of my list. Yeah, on that game one. By the way, I don't know if you noticed when Jaron in the first quarter went out. I don't. Maybe he got two fouls relatively quick. They subbed Kyle in to replace him, and Kyle like stopped him center court 
and like talked to him for a considerable amount of time. That that was like when I was just like, man, is he gonna is he gonna recover from Andrew Harrison face or not? And you know, credit to Jaron, I do think that he did. And he, I think when he came back in the game, he started his impact was felt more defensively. He had a couple free throws. He he had that um that play where he bounced the ball off of someone's foot, like saving saving it on the offensive rebound and giving us a second-chance possession. He did some little things to get him back in the groove and build some confidence up. And I kind of feel like th- that moment for me clicked. I was like, we we just need to give Jaron some easy opportunities just to make small differences before we ask him to hit that momentum three. And if we do, then I think that that's kind of like the key to unlocking him. Yeah, what do you think, Ty, about Jaron and his just overall performance in two, game two versus game one? Yeah, I think y'all are y'all are, yeah spot on, and I think honestly, him playing at the five in this series, if you talk about like freeing him up, that frees him up a ton, um, offensively and defensively. Honestly, um, they really don't. I mean, I yeah, I just. I think threes were big, but also um, I think he kind of prides himself on defense, obviously. And it's really cool to see when they'll try to do like a high pick and roll and he just switches on to Anthony Edwards and then Ant can't do anything. Like if y'all look at Ant's like first like four to five shots of the game were just these horrific, like one hit the top of the backboard. Like, they were just awful shots, and a lot of that was when our bigs were switched on to him, whether that was Jaron or BC or Kyle or whoever it is. But a lot of times that's Jaron. Um, and I think the biggest thing is the three-point shooting. I kind of texted you all this today. He went four for seven from three, which is awesome. Um, honestly, like six of those were basically wide-open shots, and the seventh one wasn't, but he's the, he made that one. It was some, like, step-back three that he hit on Nas Reed that was awesome. But now, like, we kind of talked about, like, Bain has this gravity when it comes to shooting that, like, teams panic when he's, like, loading up to shoot. And you would think that by Jaron having a big night, like, the Timberwolves are going to have to respect him. Moving forward, they can't just, like, help a ton and crash down on Ja. You know, because in game one, there were Jaw was trying to drive on three guys and was just like ignoring kickouts. And now, like, they're not going to really be able to do that. Like, you got to kind of, you got to be aware of Jaron. And I think to Brantley's earlier point, like, Jaw played a completely different game. Like, he looked like a completely different player. He looked like really, like, really calm, really composed, took his time. He was back to like probing rather than just like, I'm going to just try to jump in everybody all at once. Like, he was dissecting every little thing on offense, making every little play happen. And I think one thing with with Minnesota, their defense is just so aggressive that the longer, like, the possession plays out, they're going to get in terrible position. And you're going to find yourself with a wide-open shot or a layup. And I think Ja was like, okay, let's just settle down, run the pick and roll, let me get to my spots, let me get to the center of the paint, make all these decisions, and I think it worked out. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what my favorite jaw play was from last night? It was when he was uh, uh, he was in the corner guarding whoever was there on defense, and Cat tried to drive from the wing, 
and he stepped in, took a charge, and that was oh, Carlin the help on Cat's, TV. Uh, like, fourth foul. Yeah. Yes, he like bolted from the corner too. So he was a guarding a guy in the opposite corner, and I don't know if y'all watched that Nakias Duncan video I sent y'all about yes. like how a lot like a lot of our help was bad, and a lot of it was like Jaw just not being in the right spot. Like he sprinted over to get in front of Towns. Like it was a high high effort play. Um. Yeah, that was huge. Our effort in general was just like off the charts. Yeah, I'm curious. The last little question that I was having, like in comparison to to games one and two, was so. Correct me if I'm wrong on these specifics, but I feel like game one halftime we were like down six or something, and we were like, "How in the world are we only down six? It feels like we're down 30. And um. And it sort of stayed close, and obviously we lost. Game two, halftime, we were like up 10 or 12 or something. And it felt like we should have been up 20. To me, we weren't. And I was kind of like, man, if they come back out and hit a run, then this is going to be another long night, and there could be some you know, anxiety and nerves creeping in. But then we sort of pushed and, and made this run to get to you know, you know, 20, 20 plus. And I was kind of going back and watching some film, watching some of the plays, you know, tie that that thread that you tweeted, and also just some other highlights. And I don't like really remember massive moments of things that got us to that point. But the the the, the wolves to me seem to sort of approach the second half very differently in the first half. And I was texting y'all about this. It looked like in the second quarter, the Timberwolves were like sort of running this matchup zone against us a little bit on the top of the key with like some of their wings um, where they weren't playing a specific man to man, but they're kind of like sitting back on their heels a lot and allowed us to sort of take advantage of like driving into the lane. They played in the second half, they opened up and what I would just sort of say was a loose man to man that allows to, to really, I, I think sort of get in a rhythm and play our game. And I, I don't know about y'all, but that's what I sort of felt like was the main difference was it wasn't necessarily like big moments versus just in the second half, we came back out and it was like, Oh, this is just Grizzlies basketball. Now we're just going to win our way versus like having these huge moments. But did you, would you say the same thing? Will? yeah, I would say, I mean, to me, what Grizzlies basketball is, not only just the transition, the forcing turnovers and capitalizing, but in the half court, Grizzlies basketball is John Morant either taking a high pick and roll and making the right read off of that or taking a weaker defender one-on-one and having Bain on the wing or having a rolling, you know, big to, to feed it off to or taking a floater. You know, it's just like he and you know that he can get there every time and he was in the second half. And so I think it's just one of those situations where if they're not going to if they don't necessarily have somebody to put on jaw is the point I don't think that they have anybody who one-on-one can hang with them Beverly can try he'll either foul jaw or he will uh try to call for a switch or something like he's not impressed me at all yeah um this series in terms of his defensive presence but that was the point it's just like I think the optionality and then having bigs who can come in and actually uh, – who can catch the ball, who can 
who can uh, flare out if you need them to, who are always there to clean it up if it doesn't fall on the, um, the first time. And that's without Steve yeah. Williams, too. So I think that's what it felt like to me is, like, in the half court, I was never worried. Whereas in game one, I felt like we couldn't get anything outside of the paint. And even then, when we did get to the paint, uh, it was usually Ja trying to force something. And half of the time, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd make. Yeah. But the other, the other times, I just felt – didn't feel great about a Dylan kind of like fall away jumper in the paint. The other thing that I'm curious to get y'all's thoughts on, because this is like an observation I had in the third quarter that has me sort of thinking about the future, which somebody could be listening to this, you know, after game three, they, they came out and I think tried to get cat the ball in the post and, and tried to set him up either driving to the cup on our small bigs or, which which wasn't working, or like trying to get him the ball down low, and it worked a couple times that it didn't work a ton, and and that is the obvious offensive counter to I think what we're doing defensively. Is there, and he's huge, <laughs> so like, do y'all have any concern about that? Like to me, like I think that that I'd live with that. I'd rather live with them trying to let Cat beat us in the post versus Anthony Edwards going off. Um, and a pick-and-roll option against Adams. Yeah, I think if you watch the Clippers play in, like they guarded him with Nick Batum, and then anytime he caught it in the post, they just sent a double immediately and then tried to make him become a playmaker, and he's a terrible playmaker. Like he turnover prone, he can't pass. He also doesn't really post up much. Like to your point, like they kind of tried to do it because that was like – you know, quote unquote, uh, like a matchup down low, but Towns is best when he either is like screening at the top of the key or basically just getting it at the top of the key and trying to like, he plays similar to Jaron. If you think about like Jaron's role on offense, like it's a lot of like pick and pop or just like catching it at the three point line and trying to like go off the dribble or hit a jumper or something like that. Um, the reason I'm not really worried is because Honestly, the two games where that's happened, basically the Clippers when they played them in the play-in and last last night with us, both were like really effective in guarding Cat. Like he hasn't shown that he can actually punish that down low. You know, he's not like an Embiid who would just like manhandle whoever in the block. Like Cat's not that player, um, and Cat seems to always rush things. Like, he's not a patient player. Like, he's not going to get the ball and, like, take his time, try to sell into a position. I think hurrying him up, making him try to make, like, quick, fast decisions because I don't think he's really capable of doing that that well. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that as much. All right, let's talk about the rest of the series. Let's start with this. Should Steven Adams play another minute in this series? <laughs> foul, foul trouble minutes only. I'd love I, – I texted this to y'all before yesterday, and I'll stick with it. I would love to see Kyle replace Adams in the starting lineup. I think that's – I think I, – yeah, I, I love that lineup against these teams because that allows BC to be first man off the bench if Jaron gets in foul trouble somehow. I, I think Kyle can hold his own against Cat, let Jaron still roam, allows us to be super flexible. Um. So, no, I'm totally fine with him not seeing the floor. I would honestly even be a, in favor of Tillman starting. I mean, 
you're kind of replacing Tillman has become the de facto like five when we don't really have anybody or we're in garbage time, which is it is nuts um, that he is 12th on the team in minutes this season, which is just wild. The fact that he that has played such a role in the uh, not only last year's playoffs, but this year now, I feel like he's going to be a premier uh, part of the rotation. Mm. And so I would be very intrigued by the the idea of either he or Kyle starting and Steven Adams. Um, he might be effective in later series, but I just don't think this is his. And I think that hopefully Jenkins, whether it was because Adams got the two fouls early and he was forced into it, or if he was secretly relieved and was like, thank goodness I now don't have to deal with the politics. Yeah. Of, taking Adams out. Not that Adams wouldn't wasn't a champ about understanding per, you know, the team. It sounds like Adams was just like a professional and like totally understood, but that's the biggest adjustment that has been made and it worked so yeah. well that I think you have to stick with yeah. it. I love the uh, the thing with Tillman so Brantley, like the point you just asked about like cat going down low. Like I'm, if Tillman's guarding him like one on one in the post, like I'm not really mm-hmm. concerned. Like Tillman may have a few inches like shorter than him, but he's definitely just as strong. Yeah. Tillman's <laughs> a fantastic defender down low too. He's just a fantastic de- defender. Period. Um, because especially for non like springy yeah. picks, which Cat is not. Yeah, so no, he, it's almost like he plays below the rim for sure. Cat is almost like a. Uh, or Tillman is almost like a cat light, really, in a weird way. They kind of have the same sort of movement. They have the same body type, and they both can stretch the floor well, you, a little bit. Well, you cat almost – I mean, we may – I don't think we'll come to regret this, but Cat's post-game, it's not like he's going to hit, like, over his left shoulder or over his right shoulder, totally. Marcus saw turnaround jumpers on the short corner where he's using his height. He has that little – baby hook that he's going to use going to his left because that's all he's got using his right hand. But it, he, anytime he even drives with his left, he's still trying to shoot with his right. Like it, it, it's like he, for, it's really crazy to me. I'm, I once that whoever started calling that out with both D'Lo and cat with how their inability to use their off hand with shooting seems really nuts to me. And I think that's just kind of an easy thing we've been able to do. Like, uh, you know, if you've paid attention on Twitter, everyone is now, now saying that, but it really is obvious. Um, so that's where I'm with y'all. Like, I just, I, I like all of our flexibility to, to guard him. Um, but it's mainly the reason why it, the matchup on guarding cat isn't even about cat scoring as much as is it about being able to guard D or Ant, Anthony Edwards in the pick and roll and not let them have easy rhythm buckets like they did the first 10 minutes of game one. And, um, you know, I sort of expect like now potentially Edwards is really good. He's going to make some adjustments. He's going to come out and probably try to be, you know, the number one on the court. Um, I would imagine, which means that, you know, Ja, I would imagine Ja will match him. So then it kind of boils down to who's going to be like the second best between the Grizz and the Wolves, or is like the sum of our parts better than their overall number two, which is what kind of game two felt like to me. I didn't really necessarily say like, oh, Jaron was definitely our number two, or, you know, Bane right. definitely was. It was like all of the rest of our guys collectively were better than their number two. 
And that's kind of the like Spursian type team that we have, you know, where it's like we have job plus a ton of all, all these awesome people, which will be if, as long as Edwards hitting, hitting step back threes, maybe we're fine. I don't know. D'Lo, 21 points total in the series through two games. And that's something that's not going to get talked about enough because Dylan has been the primary defender on him. And there haven't been a lot of just like straight up one-on-one, you know, plays that Dylan's made against D'Lo. But I think it's had a really, really clear effect. And so props to Dylan on that. And he hasn't gotten necessary. Dylan hasn't gone off yet offensively at all. I mean, he didn't even get into double digits in game two, but he didn't have to. And that's the best part of the playoffs yeah. with Dylan. So that's, that's he an stayed interesting within stat. himself though, which has been encouraging. He has been playoff yeah. Dylan. Um, sure. Like he's been playoff Dylan. He took 11 shots last game and he took 14 the game before. Um, he was game one. He was seven for 14. He went three for four from three, 24 points. And then last game, he only, he only had nine shots, but you know, he didn't hit a three. He was zero for five from three. Like that would, you would hope that would change. Um, I remember so an interesting thing about D'Lo is, again, Matt Harlicka, of course. Um, Take a drink. He's basically saying that he can be, like, easy to scheme because he's kind of, like, good at kind of, like, one little thing, which is just kind of getting to, like, a jumper, right? Like, he's not overly athletic. He's not going to, like, hurt you above the rim. Um, he's just going to try to hit jumpers. And if you can, like, defend his jumper, then you're in pretty good shape. And – I think Anthony Edwards is not that guy, but that's what he's playing like right now. He's just taking a bunch of crazy jumpers. And, yeah, they're, some of them are probably going to go in, but they're really hard shots. Like, you're going to have – like, last night, even some of those he hit in the second half. I mean, the game was already over, but he hit some just, like, crazy step-back contested You'll threes. And You'll you're live. Just, You'll you live. can live with that. But, th- but that's not the case for game uh, one. I, I, like his shots in game one were not tough shots. His first few for sure. I mean, yeah. he did hit some, he got he in a rhythm. He got in a rhythm and then was totally. able to hit some tough shots where you're like, man, he's, this guy's taking a leap, but we allowed him to get right. hot early. And I think that's one of those, you know, all the post game comments on him, them, they were talking about how we made all these defensive adjustments on him. And I, I mean, the defensive adjustment was not Steven Adams guarding him. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, right, yeah. it was Pretty not clear. like that crazy to me. Like, um, right. But you'll live, I mean, honestly, like, I mean, y'all tell me if you're wrong. Like, I, I feel like you'll live with, you, you'd live with Edwards maybe getting 25 to 30. As long as like D'Lo and, and Kat aren't going off and Mo, or Beasley coming off the bench, you're fine. Like, Edwards is a good player. He's going to score. Um, for what it's so worth. Question, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Will. I was going to say, for what it's worth, in the first half, uh, or sorry, sorry, in the first game, Timberwolves bench points 43, Grizzlies 32. In game two, Timberwolves also had 43 again, and we had 60. I mean, it's a 28-point difference from bench production in game two and that's just yeah. i mean that's grizzly it's like tillman too, tillman bc and who else kyle not kyle uh tillman bc zaire yeah. and tyus and d anthony melton also hit two threes so signs of 
Small signs of life, but man, game one, Melton was exactly what we said it was going to be. Hey, props and to Zaire, man. That dude is like, he hit a step back three on Towns. It was sick. He did like, caught it, did this quick little stutter step, step back. Oh, it was sick. Can so we, good. can I, can I ask it one more so question? Good. I don't know if we're trying to wrap. What, because, because the I Melton thing, too. do you guys feel like we've learned anything more? about our team in these two games. Not Jenkins. Take that off the table. I mean, I, to me personally, I was very concerned after last year in general, including playoffs but regular season, about – I mean, we talked about this. Will, cl- cover your ears. But, like, Brandon Clark's ability to play in a playoff series. Like, we've been talking about, like – can he do it? He's kind of feels a little limited. Like, I don't really know what his role is going to be. But when you match him, like, with Trip, he turns into a completely different player. Um, so I would say that BC's emergence in this series is something that I'm – I don't know if I'm surprised by, but I'm like, oh, kind of a sigh yeah. of relief. Like, okay, he well, can he can not only play, but he can have a serious role and – be a be a you know be a mass math matchup advantage on our side. Whereas last year I was leaving the playoffs thinking like oh, I don't know if BC can really play in a playoff series. Uh, that's, that's I pretty much it. I would say no, honestly. Yeah, except for the fact that we we have depth that isn't just regular season depth necessarily. I think that we just taking Tillman by himself almost proves that it's a next man up deal with us. And it's not just something that they say, it's something that they will practice. And so that's not like, I don't think that that will necessarily um, translate in every single matchup. But I do think for this one in particular, we are learning that depth actually does help in the playoffs and that you can have, um, it, and it's not even about having bigger rotations and like married to, you know, being married to 10 man rotations or 11 or whatever. It's about having optionality. Totally. And so you're not stuck with Steven Adams and no one else. It's you can slot in Tillman, who's a guy who's had more DNPs than than he's played this season, you know. So I, I think that's what I've learned. But overall, I, I think the. The playoffs are just a matchup game, and so we're seeing how I think we can beat this Timberwolves team if we stick to it and we hit shots. So um, that's a good question to continue yeah. to ask, and I hope we could get to continue to ask it yeah, as totally. we progress. Yeah. Um, Ty, so you had one more question? Did. Yeah, so we made our big adjustment, and you could argue that adjustment was a defensive-oriented adjustment, right? Taking Towns out putting a more mobile big on the floor that can switch, do a lot of other things. So if you think of the Wolves, like we kind of did whatever we wanted on offense. Honestly, like both games, we just didn't really hit a lot of shots in game one, but like we kind of got good looks. We just didn't really hit a lot of them. Anyway, what would you say their like adjustment on defense would be? And I, it's like a rhetorical question because I don't really think – they really have one. Um, I'll just go ahead and answer no, one question. I have an answer first. Sorry, go ahead. That's not Brandon, fair. You got it. You got it. It's not. You're defense. right. You're right. If I were a Wolves fan, 
I would be asking for Beverly to sit and Beasley to start and give me more playmaking. He may not Beasley may not be better defensively, but Pat Bev gives you zero, gives you nothing. And or not maybe not maybe star is the wrong word, but the minutes to switch. I'd be I'd be scared as a fan if I started seeing those Bev minutes go to Beasley. I'd be nervous. Hmm. Go ahead, Ty. You're going to answer your own question, then I'll try. I was in. so my big point was. Who do you think the Wolves' like basically worst defender is? D'Angelo Russell. I was going to say, say Cat. He's looked rough. They can't play without him. He has to be on the floor. If you look at our like defensive weakness, like Stephen Adams is, re- is replaceable. We can just put someone else in that spot. The reason I think we're looking really good is because, like, we have found a way to just completely exploit Cat on the defensive end, and he can't not play. Like, you can't just not play him. So their their um, adjustment like should we're gonna be an put offensive in the adjustment. Role. Then shouldn't be. It's gonna have to be. Yes, they're gonna probably play either Jade McDaniel's a little bit more instead of um, um, Vando Vanderbilt, or yeah, play Beasley. Try to play Tari and Prince, maybe at the four. Try to go, like, really small. But to me, that just leads to them hemorrhaging points. Um, Maybe they can't outscore us. Maybe that's the way they go. Um, Will, do you see any, like, big adjustment that, like, you're afraid of on their end? That's, like, the Uh, low-hanging fruit adjustment? I mean, the the easy thing to look at if you look at game one and two is Vanderbilt somehow had a minus – uh, in game one as far as his plus minus goes and he did again in game two granted his minutes got cut in half in game two so I think Finch has already seen that he's just not a guy who's going to be able to hang in this series and so I could see them putting McDaniels in uh, for him there but then also I mean the two guys honestly that I'm scared of off of their bench uh, from an offensive perspective Malik Beasley obviously um, but then also Nas Reed. I know that he's like kind of got some weaknesses in his game, but yeah. man, he can shoot. And so like he's the other guy that I would give more minutes to um, because he's not going to be worse than Cat defensively. So it's like what is the what is the harm? And he's also a little bit bigger than some of our like Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson. Xavier well, Reed was guys, huge so. in helping uh, the Bulls beat the Clippers. Yeah, he's just a solid backup center who uh, is an underrated shooter. And so, granted, he he will not jump. His feet do not leave the ground when he shoots. It looks really weird, but it goes in. So, um, anyway, that's the one thing I would do. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think that the, the answer here is that they just don't have depth. Like, anytime they had a, a majority uh, or a, a lineup where the majority of the guys were off the bench, I mean, we even – carved them up in game one when we couldn't hit a thing. So like I'm I'm all for just I mean anybody off their bench I, I'm 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 great with besides maybe Beasley and Reed. So um it's gonna be interesting to see what their counter is and it, also it's gonna be interesting to see what their home crowd brings. Uh I think I would have if you could tell if you told me that uh we are gonna split one to one in these first two games and I get to pick which one we win and which one we lose, obviously I would pick game one to lose, game two to win, because I do feel like we are in that sort of rhythm right now. And I'm kind of glad 
we had two days in between game one and two, and we only had one between games two and three. Kind of glad about that. Kind of like that playing. too, yeah. So, all right, guys, uh, we're all, almost up against time. Let's get some, into predictions. How are the next uh, couple of games going to go in Minnesota? And uh, could we see a Grizz in five? Or are we going to see a Grizz in six or seven? Or are we going to see a T-Wolves in six or seven? What do y'all think? Or five? I think we win the series. And as I, as I texted y'all today, I think if we win game three, um, I think winning in five is absolutely in play. I think if we win game three on the road there, immediately take home court back, kind of break their spirits because their spirits kind of look breakable, honestly. Um Cat looks like he could just fall apart any minute. Um, I think I think it goes six. I think we win in six. Is my if gun? You know, if I had to pick, that's what I would choose. But I think five is still in play. I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, I'm still just I'm still just sticking with seven. I just feel like we're still young and learning how to win in the playoffs. So I'm hoping we split these one of these next yeah. two games. Um. So, and I, I mean, this Wolves team, they want to give their franchise, a, you know, when was the last time they won a playoff game? Like KG was on the team. Um, so they've got stuff to play for too. They'll, they're they're going to have, totally. they're going to have some, some momentum behind them. I think game three has become the most important game in the series. I don't think that's breaking any news here. Uh, but I just think whichever way that goes will inform um, how both teams are going to play the rest of the series and how they're going to adjust. Because if the Wolves all of a sudden have another twenty-point loss at home to the Grizzlies, they're gonna they're gonna go into emergency mode, and Finch is going to have to really figure something out. Um, because I do agree, they're young. We are young too, but we've got a few more scars than they do. Um, so. We'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be a really. I think it's going to be an up and down game. Game three. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. And I could see game four. Uh, just, I mean, we could see a, a complete do over of what we just had to. If the games, if the Wolves happen to win game three, like I could see a game four blowout again. I don't know if that's just me just seeing it happen and thinking it's going to happen again. But um, yeah, I would. I would very much. Uh, be uh, the thing I'm most intrigued to see is starting lineups. Does Jenkins actually pull the trigger, um, or does he uh, leave Stephen Adams in, and we, um, and we sort of <laughs> have that to adjust from again? But hopefully he's learned. It's going to be interesting. I think that um, this could have been a really depressing podcast if we were to drop game two. I wouldn't um, have done it. I, I agree. I don't think we would have done it at all. Um, and I'm glad that we're here now because it means that we we're feeling good and, uh, we're going to need, we're going to need Grizz Nation on Saturday night, especially it's a 9 PM tip. So, uh, the real ones will need to be watching and, uh, let's, let's make it through. It couldn't be as bad as Utah was last year where every game basically started after nine. Uh, but we got, we can do one. Come on, Grizz Nation. It's a Saturday night. Let's get up for them. Game three, Thursday night, 6.30. Uh, let's go, Grizz. Go, Grizz.